Good morning. Um, as Steve said, my name is uh, Jeff, part of the preaching team here at C3. Really excited to be uh, speaking to you this morning um, as we go into the second message in this series, God Tweets, which is looking um, at the book of Proverbs, but through the lens, if you like, of Twitter. Um, as you may know, Twitter is coming up to its 10th birthday in just over a month. So Twitter started in July 2006. And I remember around about that time, or a couple of years before that, C3 got its first website. Now, it might look a little bit clunky compared to the websites we have nowadays, but it was a you know, great website and well used. And one of the things I remember about it, one of the things I really loved about it, was it had this kind of message board section. And people would post up kind of different things, questions, provocations, thoughts from the preach, things to do with kind of everyday news, and then there would be debates that would kind of emanate from these kind of message boards. And there's probably about, you know, a few people in this room that remember those, posted to them. There were, there were about 20 to 30 people that regularly posted, and about three or four people that seemed to continually post. And there, was, there were some very, very lengthy posts. You know, some of these posts, had they just been put in kind of page format, would have been a book, you know, and then someone would respond with an equally lengthy... And, you know, that was quite typical on the internet at that time, that you'd get these message boards with long, long discussions, long, long debates, and that is still true in many places. But part of the attraction of Twitter when it came was that rather than going on for pages and pages and pages, you just have 140 characters. Not even 140 words, 140 characters. An incredibly short amount of time, and yet the idea, I guess, is to say something meaningful, something interesting, something insightful in that time. And there's all sorts of different topics. People talk about politics, people talk about everyday life, things they've noticed, comments, um, reviews of things, events coming up, all sorts of different things are obviously on Twitter. Um, and some of them are um, interesting. Uh, if they're interesting, they get retweeted, obviously. Some of them are quite funny. Um, I found these are five of the funniest tweets from the last few years. Quite like these. So these are just things that people have tweeted and other people have retweeted. So, um, some interesting facts I learned at the Children's Museum today. One, lightning bugs are actually beetles. Two, I hate children. <laughs> that was the popular one. Uh, second one about um, someone's Roomba vacuum cleaning. You know those vacuum cleaning robots? Um, so my new Roomba vacuum cleaning has, uh, my new Roomba vacuum cleaner just beat me to a piece of popcorn I dropped on the floor. <laughs> this is how the war against the machines begins. Number three, useful tip. Wear only a towel around your waist, and you can get into just about anywhere if you just repeat, so sorry, so sorry, and keep moving forward. <laughs> Try it out. Number four, my office password has been hacked again. That's the third time this year I've had to rename the cat. <laughs> and finally, I'm starting to think that the Facebook status update I liked has had absolutely no influence on government policy at all. So there's all these kind of things flying around Twitter, and I say that they're often kind of quite meaningful or insightful or thoughtful, but in a very short, pithy statement. And the, the parallel we're drawing is the book of Proverbs is full of these kind of statements, lots and lots of different statements that in just usually a couple of clauses say a huge amount. So usually it's da 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 so don't do this like the foolish man, do this like the wise man. Or someone might do this, you should do this. And it's that kind of juxtaposition that puts into very sharp focus some real wisdom, some real uh, knowledge for life. And these kind of proverbs 
come from all around the world. Obviously, they are in um, the Old Testament, so they're part of the, the Christian faith, also the Jewish faith. But you find them in all sorts of different faiths, all sorts of different countries, all sorts of different parts from around the world. So I wanted to share with you uh, 10 different proverbs, not from the Bible. Last week, Steve had his Bardor Bible, and you were kind of working out what was Shakespeare. These are from different countries, different cultures. Um, but what's good about these proverbs is that they all kind of carry knowledge and wisdom for our lives. Okay? They're all the same kind of thinking, things that can help us. So this is a Chinese proverb. A pearl with flaws is worth more than a pebble without imperfections. Interesting, thoughtful, okay? Um, the second one is the Zulu uh, proverb. The most beautiful fig may contain a worm. Beware. I like this one from Denmark. Don't sail out further than you can row back. <laughs> and the Danish were good rowers, weren't they? I mean, this was the, uh, yeah, so there we go. In, uh, this is a Thai proverb. In the battle between elephants, the ants get squashed. A Sudanese proverb, a large chair does not make a king. Um, I'm a teacher myself, so this one is a German one that says, a teacher is better than two books. I'd rate myself maybe three or four. Um, <laughs> here's, I like this one, a Jamaican one. If you go to a donkey's house, don't talk about ears. <laughs> so there you, go, you could have that on your wall or a bumper sticker. And finally, this is a Slovenian one. Speak the truth, but leave immediately after. So, so there's all sorts, of, all sorts of wisdom there that we can gain. And you don't have to subscribe to those faiths or those cultures in order to see that there is a wisdom for life contained in those in the same way that there is a wisdom for life in the Proverbs. Because that's what Proverbs are all about. They're about grappling with the realities of life. And actually, life experience across the country but across the globe is actually pretty uniform. Those kind of experiences, those kind of wisdom have a lot to say. As I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a teacher, and um, I guess largely my role as a teacher, secondary school teacher of music, is developing a mixture of knowledge and skills. So I might impart some knowledge or seek to impart some knowledge about aspects of music or different composers or different aspects of music theory. And certainly a lot of my role is about imparting skills, helping people to learn skills of playing keyboard or ukulele or singing or just practicing. Um, so, you know, mostly teachers are imparting knowledge or imparting skills. We do a bit of socialization along the way. I'm kind of getting there. And, but there's, there's not, you know, we don't spend a lot of time just talking about wisdom. You know, we don't have a lesson in the week where we just sit down and kind of consider wisdom and say, well, we don't have a proverb for the week necessarily. I thought we, perhaps we should do. You know, because these proverbs are really useful, really interesting, but also they are, they are ways of us understanding how to live life better. Occasionally when someone performs something in the keyboard in my class and it doesn't go quite right, perhaps I should say to them, well, remember, you know, remember, Judy, that, you know, a pebble without imperfections is worth less than a, a diamond with flaws. So, you know, there's, I might say that to them by way of encouragement, but it's not kind of part of the curriculum. But perhaps it should be. You know, this city of Cambridge is obviously a very, very intelligent city. If you were to measure a city by IQ, this would probably come up pretty near the top in the UK because of the different universities, all the technology, all those different things. Incredible IQ. But we know that being intelligent or having a high IQ doesn't necessarily mean you're a happy person. Can do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. We know that being rich or being successful or being good looking or being 
any of those other things famous, that doesn't necessarily mean you will then fall be happy. You could be all of those things and unhappy. But what about wisdom? Is it possible to be a wise person and not be happy? Because I don't think it is. I think in its essence, if you are a truly wise person, then in general, you will be a happy person because you will understand life. I mean, obviously, there are events in life that may cause you to temporarily be unhappy if a loved one dies or is sick, but in general terms, if you are a wise person, it means you understand what life is. You understand how to, how to be blessed in life and how to be happy in life. Wisdom is truly knowing what happiness is and how to achieve it. Who is the wisest person you know? If you had to think of someone, who's the wisest person? They're probably also a happy person. So throughout this series, we're looking at this book that is full of wisdom, looking at different Proverbs. Today, I'm looking at Proverbs chapter 3. I was quite keen on the idea of reading the whole thing out, but it took not much short of 10 minutes, so I won't do that. But please do away from here today. Go read the whole of the chapter. It's a fantastic chapter, full of different wisdom. And throughout this series, uses an opportunity to look at some of the Proverbs that we talk about, some of the chapters we look at on a Sunday, but there will be many that we don't. Look at them, read them, think about them, dwell on them. But I want to draw out five points, really, from this chapter on Proverbs today, which help us to understand. They're kind of keys to understanding the Proverbs, but also, therefore, keys to understanding happiness. If we can grasp these, they will help us to be more happy in our lives. So the first point I want to make is this. Wisdom is something to pursue. Wisdom is something to pursue. If you read the Proverbs, they are full of exhortations and encouragements to pursue wisdom. It's saying, you want to know some wisdom for life? Pursue wisdom. It's kind of a cyclic thing, isn't it? So in verse 13 in this proverb, it says this, Blessed are those who find wisdom, who gain understanding. For she, wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. So if you want to know how to be wise and to be happy in life, pursue more wisdom. That should be a priority in our lives. It shouldn't just be stuff that we pick up along the way in a haphazard way. It says we should actively seek out wisdom. And whether we do that from reading this book of Proverbs or reading other Proverbs or getting around wise people and listening to them, you know, how many of us carve out time in our lives to do that and pursue wisdom? How many of us read philosophy? Now, philosophy is one of those things that has a bit of a you know, people think, well, it's a bit of a stuffy intellectual subject. I, I don't really understand it. Isn't it just a load of waffle that doesn't make sense? It's got a really negative image, but philosophy actually at its heart is all about this same issue of wisdom, about understanding the fabric of life. Underst if you go back to ancient Greek philosophy, it's all about understanding what life is, how life works. And actually, that's stuff that is useful in our lives here and now. It reminds me of um, the joke, horse walks into a bar. The bartender asks the horse if it's an alcoholic, considering all the, the beer it's drinking, to which the horse replies, I don't think I am. Poof, it disappears. Now that joke would have been funnier if you're a student of philosophy, because you see, it's an allusion to Descartes who says, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. So you get it? So the horse said, I don't think I am, and therefore it disappears. 
You'd have laughed more if I'd mentioned Descartes at the beginning. <laughs> but then, of course, I'd have been putting Descartes before the horse. Yeah, yeah there we go. Right, thank you. <laughs> Got there in the end. Right. Nice tumbleweed moment. Right. So much of this book of Proverbs is extolling the value of wisdom. One of the things I love about Amazon, when you buy a book from Amazon, you can kind of look at some of the book, and you can often read up to the first 20% of that book, and often that's enough to tell you I don't need the rest of the book. But in this case, the beginning of Proverbs, the first three and four chapters, are full of a kind of encouragement to pursue wisdom. So as you read this introduction, this sample of Proverbs, the main message is read the rest of the book. It will help you in life. It will help you to understand life. As Steve said last week, Solomon had this decision to make at the King Solomon and from the Old Testament had this decision to make at the beginning of his life. You know, if I could have anything, you know, and I will give it to you. What did he choose? He chose wisdom. He didn't choose riches or fame or success. He chose wisdom. And we think this is a very kind of holy answer. Of course, it was quite a holy answer, but it was also a self-serving answer because Solomon realized that if he chose wisdom, he would be choosing the one thing that could make him happy and fulfilled in life. You know, this, these proverbs say that wisdom is greater than silver, gold, and rubies. I went on a school trip just last week, and as part of this trip, we visited these kind of, uh, it was in Spain, these mud huts in northern Spain from around the time perhaps when Solomon was around, uh, quite a long way uh, before uh, Christ. And these mud huts, they were pretty dull. There wasn't a lot of decoration around. The, the most decorative thing in them was a sheep's skull. I mean, it wasn't an attractive place. You know, in this society, silver, gold, or rubies weren't the kind of thing that you might just have a couple of. You know, most people would never have conceived of owning anything like that. The, 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 the sense of what silver, gold, and rubies was compared to what they had was huge. It was a complete financial transformation. And yet, this is saying, don't worry about that financial transformation, much more important in your lovely mud hut is to understand wisdom, to, to pursue wisdom. And it's cyclical, because if we pursue it, we become more and more wise, and we realize our need to do it. So if this series, if, if, it, if it acts as a catalyst for you to more actively in your life pursue wisdom, to read this book more regularly, just take one verse or one nugget of wisdom from it and dwell on it for a day or a week, then that's a really beneficial thing, and it could transform your outlook on life because it's such a key to understanding um, what makes us tick as humanity. Okay, the second thing I've put in your uh, notes, the second point I've put down, is that wisdom is not the same as common sense. So obviously there is a common sense that you kind of can apply to many everyday situations, and there is certainly an overlap, but wisdom is not the same as common sense. And first, you have to recognize that common sense isn't as common as you might think. I was like, when the Darwin Awards come out, I don't know if you've come across the Darwin Awards before, people who've basically done something really stupid, and they've died as a result of it, and it's a kind of acknowledgement that, well, at least they haven't passed their, their stupidity on through the genes, and therefore that's, you know, they get this award. So there's various different ones, but there's a few here I particularly like. An intrepid teenager from Florida didn't want to pay the $50 to go bungee jumping, he thought he'd do it himself. So he used tape to fix two different bungee cords together and then cut them to measure the exact height of the bridge to the ground that he wanted to jump from. He tied the cord to his car and jumped into the abyss, unfortunately forgetting that bungee cords are designed to stretch. 
Oh dear. That's it. Uh, the second one. Um, the terrorist K. Rajanet decided to send out a letter bomb in the year 2000. Not being the brightest of sparks, he forgot to put enough postage stamps on the letter, <laughs> meaning it came back to the return to sender address. K. was so happy to receive some post that he ripped it open. His career in terrorism ended there. And finally, high-flying lawyer Gary Hoy loved telling his buddies that the windows in his Toronto office were bulletproof and unbreakable. One day, he decided to prove his theory by running into one at full pace. The shot clients could only watch as Gary crashed through the unbreakable window and ended up on the pavement 24 floors below. So, perhaps common sense isn't as common as we might like to think, but there are times when even if we apply what we think is common sense, that actually wisdom can point in a different direction. And this uh, chapter of Proverbs makes that very clear. This famous verse uh, in five and, uh, verses 5 and 6 say this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It's not saying never use your intellect, never use your understanding, but it's saying that will only get you so far. Sometimes you need to step out of what you know and what you understand or what seems obvious and lean on something external, in this case, the wisdom of God and the wisdom in this book. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Um, as part of my, my week or part of my life, I, as I said, I am a teacher, and I also spend some time writing music and composing things. And one of the things I love about teaching, I love a lot of things about teaching, but one of the things I really like about it is that I kind of turn up in front of a class at the set time, and they turn up as well, and then I teach them for an hour or an hour and a half, and then at the end they kind of go away. And, you know, there's a really kind of clear, defined sense of what I've done, and, you know, I'm able to give my all to that for that time that they're with me. Um, whereas the writing and the composing I do is sometimes very difficult, and sometimes it's much less clear-cut. And sometimes I can have, for example, a whole day when I think, right, today I'm going to spend the whole day doing composing, and I might try and get you know, eight or you know, nine hours of composing done, get a lot of work done on this particular piece. Um, and then the day starts, and I think, well, I'm a bit tired this morning, I might just spend a little bit longer in bed this morning, just enjoy myself for just an hour so that I can really attack this project with full energy, and then get up, and think, well, I need, need a decent breakfast, spend a bit of time on maybe you know, a few Facebook posts, read a few things, catch up with a few people online, read a few articles, watch a couple of things on iPlayer, and then gradually the day can be eroded and you get to the end of the day and you've not done anything that you want to do. You occasionally have days like that and perhaps if you've, I don't know, studied or doing a PhD or working self-employed or maybe many of you in different situations can respond to that. And what I find interesting about that is that at the, you know, every point in that day I've been kind of effectively making the decision what would I really enjoy doing? What would make me happy? You know, I'd really enjoy just to spend the next hour just relaxing, perhaps reading this or watching this. That'd be a really enjoyable thing to do for an hour. And then I'd enjoy to do this, and I'd enjoy to do that. And I can spend the whole day doing things that I find enjoyable, and yet at the end of the day, am I happy? No. Having spent the whole day doing enjoyable things, I'm unhappy because I haven't done what I set out to do. And there's a wisdom that says, actually, that I can learn from past experience that that isn't going to make me happy. If I just go down common sense and say, well, choose a load of things that sound fun and do them, that doesn't necessarily equate to, at the end of the day, being happy. And wisdom comes from these external um, perspective, a different perspective on our lives. And biblical wisdom is a key resource for that. Wisdom is also often counterintuitive. It goes against what we might think. 
very famous passage here from this chapter um, on tithing. So this is verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. You see, it's logical to think, well, money makes you happy. You can spend money doing good things and things that make you happy. And it's good for security. If you don't have money, then life can really get difficult and tough and miserable, actually. So the, you know, your money should be spent doing two things, either saving it so that you have security or spending it on things that you enjoy doing or for your family or that your loved ones. But the Bible here is very counterintuitive. It says, actually, you should give your money away. Not all of it, but you should give a significant proportion. And importantly, the first fruits, the first thing you should do with your money is give it away and then everything else follows. And this goes against common sense, it goes against logic, but actually there's a profound truth in that. Part of that, as Steve has talked about even this morning, that, that there's, a, there's a promise in that that says that if you honour God, then he will honour you. So there's a, there's a spiritual dimension to it that is very real and important. But there's also, there's just a life lesson in there that actually if you actively just, you know, money is such a powerful thing in our lives. We can never have enough. However much we have, there will always be something else we want. And the latest this or the latest that or the bigger this, there's always something else. And if we always pursue the something else, we will never be happy. We need something in our lives that breaks that cycle and breaks the power of money and materialism that is so strong in society. And nothing breaks that cycle more effectively than saying at the outset, you know what, I'm not going to keep all this for myself. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it to the church. I'm going to give it to the work of the church. I'm going to give it to other people as well. You know, just to be generous with what we have breaks that cycle of materialism and the grip it has in our lives. So putting God first in your finances is good for our soul. And if it's true for money, it's equally true for time. You know, a life spent just doing the things that we want to do because we enjoy them ultimately isn't a fulfilling and happy life. You know, if you had a whole year, you could do anything for a year, what would you do? Quite a few years back now, um, Joe, who's a lecturer at the university, she was interviewing for the first time. And uh, they did some training and they brought some students in to be kind of trained. And it wasn't a, it was a very general interview because they weren't doing particular subjects. She's a modern linguist, modern, modern languages. But the person she was interviewing was a mathematician, uh, 18-year-old wanting to study maths. So they, you know, she didn't go into kind of deep maths questions because... It wasn't her territory, but they just asked a general question. So it started with a really open question. If you could spend a year doing anything, money no object, a year doing absolutely anything, what would you do? Thought about it for a moment and said, I play a lot of chess. There you go, she thought the maths department will love him. That's, you know, it's kind of, it wasn't, you know, what, it wasn't what you'd expect a modern linguist to say, but a maths student, fine, a year of chess, perfect. But what would you do if you could spend a year doing anything? Traveling the world, go and see this, go from that waterfall to that mountain to that. But possibly, the truth is that if you just spent a year just doing things that you wanted to do and you could see everything you wanted to see, but at the end of it, would you perhaps think, I could have spent this time differently, I could have spent this time better. What if I'd spent this year just giving my time out to something really meaningful, a project over here or an environment over here or a community over here. Perhaps there's something more fulfilling that could have been done. And if that's true for a whole year, surely we can filter that down to the days and the time that we have. That the time and the money that we give out to others is what makes us truly contented and happy. Okay, moving on. 
Point three, wisdom recognises that life is interconnected. Life is interconnected. It says in uh, verses one and two, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. So here there's a promise that if you keep God's commands, not just that you'll be happier in life, but that your life will be longer, that you'll be more healthy and that your life will live longer. So why would keeping God's moral code lengthen your life? Is it because there is health inbuilt into God's law? Well, there is truth in that. If you look at some of the Old Testament law, much of it helps a community and a society to be healthy in the way they kind of do things, even like food preparation. So there's obviously a health benefit in that. And it's a promise as well. There's a promise saying, God, if you, if you honour me, then I'll honour you. But again, I believe there's a truth in this that says, actually, on a fundamental level, life is interconnected. You know, if, if your life is not going well in this area, probably in other areas of life, it's not going well as well. And this might be the beginning of it, but it might spar into other areas and affect other areas. So if you're feeling... I don't know, a little depressed or down. And I'm not here talking about, you know, I want to be clear, I'm not really broaching clinical depression. I'm talking more about the kind of temporary depressed spirit that many of us will deal with often. But not, you know, if, if if you're dealing with kind of clinical depression, I'm not saying that these are kind of quick fixes for that. But many of us will go through periods or phases or days or, you know, periods of time where we feel down or we feel just a bit, you know, depressed in our circumstances. And often in those circumstances, you know, when I felt like that, often I've ended up eating a load of junk to try and make me feel better. And I've ended up not really wanting to go out and do much. I just thought, I'll just, you know, just cocoon myself away. And actually, the result of those things doesn't lift my mood. It does the opposite. And I know that actually, if I can break that cycle somehow and, you know, go and do some exercise, go and do something actively and get out of the house and eat something decent, that actually that will have the knock-on effect of lifting my mood. Because those things are interconnected. That there's an emotional part of me that is connected to the physical part of me. And that actually getting the balance in those things is really important. And that if I let one area of my life kind of slip downhill, then others will follow after it. You know, it's so true of many different strands of life. You know, if, if your finances are kind of running away from you and getting out of control, that doesn't just affect your finances. That can lead to great stress and pressure in life that can then have an impact on your health. It can lead to you not sleeping properly. It can lead to you not eating the right things, having no energy, and then that can start to detract from your relationships and even your job. So all these things are interconnected. And we can just say, well, this is one thing, I'll just address that. But actually recognising that the life is interconnected, if we can help lift one area, then it will have a, a global impact on our lives, that we can break the cycle. Then that's a really, benefit, a really beneficial thing that comes from the wisdom of the Proverbs. That actually by being wise in one area, it brings benefits in other areas. My fourth point is this, um, and this is my favourite point. As Steve said last week, there's a, there's a competition with this series. Uh, I, I can't remember what the prize was. thousand pounds, was it? No. There's, there's, there's a competition, and it, it's for the most... Uh, it's to do with tweets. So you have to be on Twitter, and if you put a tweet... They will be judged on three categories, and Josh Campbell is the arbiter of this competition, I believe. And the categories are, firstly, the one that gets retweeted the most. So if you tweet it and other people like it and send it on to other people, on Twitter, not just on Facebook, on Twitter, 
then that will uh, get you a position in, on the leaderboard. The second one is the most uh, liked. Is it the most liked? So the favorited one. So if the most times it's passed forwards, retweeted, the most times it's liked, and then the most profound, the most deep thinking, okay? So um, I've not used Twitter for several years, but if I would, this would be my, this would be my personal entry. Uh, it's point four. Wisdom is often simple, but rarely easy. If you go into most bookshops, you'll find a self-help section. And often, you know, this is quite a large section in a shop, and you often get two categories of books in this self-help section. You'll get one that says, you know, books like, you know, Five Keys to Success, or, you know, Seven Steps to a Healthy Life, or, you know, it's that kind of thing, you know, Fame and Success and whatever in 10 Easy Steps. And then underneath that, there's a shelf of books all about how to deal with depression and disappointment. And these two are clearly related to each other, because life is continually setting us up. And these books, and it's not just in books, you see it all over the internet, you see it all over the media, this sense, five easy steps, seven easy steps. And you see it in the spiritual world as well, you know, have an effective prayer life, seven steps to an effective prayer life, or whatever it might be. All sorts of different areas. And the problem is there's a fundamental confusion between simple and easy. Because it's true that these steps can often be simple. I mean, the Proverbs is really simple wisdom. But that doesn't make them easy. So a spiritual example might be, you know, you might be encouraged to spend 30 minutes a day at the beginning of the day meditating, reading the scriptures, praying, reflecting on your life spiritually, journaling, kind of writing stuff down, listening to God, worship. You know, to spend 30 minutes at the start of the day would be a wonderful thing to do. And that's a really simple step. We all understand that. We all get that. We all see why that would benefit us in so many ways. But sometimes the mistake we make is being told not just that it's simple, but that it's easy. And I'm sure many of us have found in our lives it's not easy. To carve out that time at the beginning of a day is not easy. Finding the right time, finding the right energy for it, the right space, focusing so you end up doing that for the time rather than getting sidetracked onto watching cat videos. You know, it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult. And it gets more and more difficult. The busier life gets, the more hectic the life gets. And the, the problem is that we, 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 we believe that it's easy, we fail to do it, and then we feel like a huge failure. We feel rubbish because we've got it wrong. And the truth is, when we fail in these areas, and there's so many other areas that it could be, we're not failing at something that's easy. We're failing at something that's difficult. And if you struggle to do something, there is a reason why you struggle. And some of those reasons are to do with things that are hardwired into us. You know, if you spend too much of your time watching stupid videos on the internet, there's a reason for that. It's because, you know, for, for millennia, you know, the human psyche has been kind of hardwired for a fairly dull, bland landscape that doesn't change very much. And if you go into the kind of psychology of it, and I'm by no way an expert, but, you know, this, this mud hut, you know, it, was, it wasn't particularly exciting. And if you looked around you, that landscape was beautiful, but it wouldn't change very much. And there's something in the psychology that if it sees something different, it notices it straight away and it fires in your mind because that could be a threat or it could be an opportunity. But the change and the difference suddenly 
is larger than life. And that's how we're kind of hardwired. So now we've got the internet, and you get those things just popping up to you continually. And here's another video that's funny. And look, watch this one, the cat's playing the trumpet, or whatever it is. You know, it's just constantly bombarding. And we can't deal with it. Because, you know, our, our psychologists go, this is incredible, it's brilliant, and there's another one, there's another one, there's another one. And we find it difficult to put that, we're going to shut that, I'm going to do something productive. Why? Because our brains are hardwired now. And I'm not saying, therefore, we should say, well, give in. It's impossible. It's not impossible. But we should recognize at least that it's difficult. And then if you struggle with it, we should be a bit more generous to ourselves and not say, I'm rubbish, I'm useless, I've failed again, but say, actually, what I'm doing is fundamentally difficult. And perhaps I need to get some people around me to help me. Perhaps I need to take a different strategy. Perhaps I need to do something more proactive to help me go in the direction I want to go in. Um, very quickly then, moving on to the fifth and final point I want to make. And this is something quite unique about the Proverbs and a few other books like it in the Bible. And it's this, that wisdom focuses on the journey rather than the destination. Just listen to these verses, starting at verse 21. My son, do not let wisdom and understanding out of your sight. Preserve sound judgment and discretion. They will be life for you, an ornament of, um, to grace your neck. Then you will go on your way in safety, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, you will, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster, or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side. He will keep your foot from being snared. And this whole passage and other passages in the Proverbs speak about enjoying the journey that we're on, that we call life. You know, many Proverbs, you know, revolve around tomorrow. So it's about, you know, plant something today. Don't just be lazy. Plant it today and then reap it tomorrow. But it's about life. You know, and I love the Proverbs because they are more journey-focused. You know, one of the things that we enjoy doing is going on cycling trips, and we kind of go to various different places, and often on the cycling trip, um, you might see an amazing sight at some point. You might arrive at a kind of castle or a, a mountaintop, well, not usually a mountain, a hilltop. You know, you might arrive somewhere with a lovely view, and the view is wonderful, but we're not doing it for the view. We're not doing it just so we can go up to that destination, say we arrived at the destination, tick. We're doing it because we enjoy, mostly, the actual journey, the process, getting up there, going up the hill, and up the hill, and, up, that, and then going down again, and then going to the next place. That journey is what it's about. And obviously, other parts of the Bible are much more destination-orientated. So, for example, you look at the letters of Paul, much of the letters of Paul are concerned with, you know, eternity. Let's not focus on today, let's focus on eternity. Let's, you know, deprive ourselves today because there's an eternity coming. And obviously, in the context of the New Testament, there was this concerning some people that, that, that this was just around the corner, that Jesus was going to return, who knew when? And we still live in those times. Now these proverbs that focus on life don't contradict Paul, but they complement it. It's not saying, oh yeah, let's, let's forget about eternity. Not at all. But it's just saying in this part of the Bible, it's encouraging us to focus on life. The word heaven is only mentioned once in the whole of the Psalms. And that's to say, who has gone up to heaven and come back down again to know the ways of God? Eternity isn't mentioned at all. It's about here and now. And that's the message of the Proverbs. And it complements other parts of the Bible that focus on eternity. It's good to have that varied diet. It's great to have this portion of Scripture right in the centre that is about living life to the full, enjoying life, finding out how life works, how we can live life better 
so that we can be more fulfilled and we can have more of an impact on the world around us. And I'm so grateful that this book exists, and I hope that through this series that you will find some nuggets of wisdom that help to just reorientate your life or shape your life afresh or bring a different perspective to some of the the very real life challenges that you have. And let me just close by saying this. It is a great series to bring people along to. I mean, every series you do is a great series to bring people along to. But this is a series that is going to really tackle some of those life issues. And as we saw in the very first few Proverbs we look at, you don't have to be a Christian to see the wisdom in these Proverbs. These Proverbs will speak to anybody who is a living and breathing human being. So let's use this opportunity, three services we now have, to bring people. Let's bow our heads in prayer as the worship team come back up. Father God, we thank you that you are the author of life. And that you, more than anybody, places great value on the gift of life. We thank you that we are each able to enjoy life. And that you have given us, in this book such keys and such wisdom for understanding how to live a life that is full, that is enjoyable, that brings happiness to us and to those around us. Not that we should be just self-centered, but actually the opposite, that it should push us outward so we can look to extend the message and the goodness that we've experienced through your grace, through your wisdom, through through deeper knowledge of you, that we would look to push that out beyond ourselves to the world around us. I really pray that each of us would, during this series, take some time to read just a few verses a week and dwell on them and think on them and let them affect us and shape us and adjust the way we might do certain aspects of our life. That we would see real and lasting and significant change as a result of this series and as a result of the wisdom that is embedded in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name.